reflecting on the way it is here and now, Pachubana Dhamma, there's a pause and I, when I think these thoughts, just observing. So it's this uh, puto position of knowing. It's not knowing about anything, it's knowing, direct knowing. Where we tend to associate knowing with knowing about all kinds of things. Now on the internet you can know all about everything. My diet is, didn't understand what extra virgin olive oil is. And then they looked it up on the internet. And balsamic vinegar, I didn't have a clue where that came from. But now I know somebody found on the internet all about balsamic vinegar and extra virgin olive oil. There's knowing about these things, which is fair enough, it's nothing wrong, but to discern the difference between knowing about and knowing the reality. So the way it is, this is a position from the unconditioned, unborn. So it's not it's not fixing on any condition. That's why I keep emphasizing this kind of wide open perspective rather than trying to get samadhi through focusing on particular objects. You see, there's a difference. Samatha meditation is around concentrating on an object. And then you're in vipassana, you're using mindfulness, which is Includes including everything, all conditioned phenomena. It's not specifying, you know, choosing one condition to uh, to uh, concentrate upon. So that's why it's you know it's easier to teach samatha meditation because it, you know, it's you, it's very prescriptive, and you you have you can point to a definite object, and then the focus on it, concentrate upon the object. But vipassana tends to be a bit mysterious. We're always looking for something to do, something to focus on. Because that's uh, the conditioning of the mind. Desire to get something, get rid of something. Operating from the sakyaditi position, I've got to get something I don't have or get rid of my defilements. So, you know, getting rid of your kilesas, killing the kilesas, getting rid of your bad habits, and trying to become better person and so forth. These are the sakyaditi. Now, some of you will assume that I'm condemning this. I'm not. I'm pointing it out, discerning what Sakyaditi is, I'm not against, I'm not trying to annihilate my ego or this personal sense of self, just recognize it. Be able to see it, to know it, rather than to take, you know, it's still Sakyaditi if I want to get rid of my personality and get rid of my defilements, it's still Sakyaditi, I'm somebody who has defilements that I have to get rid of. You see, it's a whole, it's a 
conditioned process, a kind of insidious kind of commitment to delusion. So the vipassana, insight meditation, you're, you're, you're observing. It's not, it's not judging. It's not criticizing personality or, or taking a position, I'm somebody who doesn't have to do anything because that's still sakya ditti. It's recognizing a, a deeper level of awareness where you're not operating from the sakya ditti silabhattabharamasa vichikicca, the three, first three fetters. And so these are the fetters that, that blind us to the Eightfold Path. When we talk about the Eightfold Path, and it's based on samaditi, right understanding. And, and no matter how many years you practice with sakyaditi as your modus operandi, you'll always end up with dukkha as a result. Because you haven't really found the path. You know, you haven't, you haven't had that insight into the middle way. The middle way is, just, is mindfulness. And then to really cultivate the middle way, develop it in daily life, then one needs to really examine the first three fetters as they arise and cease in your own consciousness. So, Sakya Ditti Siddhavata Brahmasa Vichikicca. So then it's like Sotapanna or stream entry in this, this terminology, the first stage. Uh, this is, you know, we, you know, when we think of it from the ego level, from the Sakya Ditti level, what happens when you think, are you a, Am I a sodapana or not? Who is a sodapana? And that is still operating from sakya ditti, isn't it? Can my personality ever become a sodapana? I can fool myself. I can delude myself into thinking I'm a sodapana. Many do. Or you delude yourself thinking you're not. Some of some of you are so self-disparaging that you're afraid of kind of, uh, you know, thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm not a sotapanna, but I'm, I'm still a batuchana, and which means you're unenlightened, still wallowing in ignorance. After 40 years of meditation, how would you feel if I said, I'm still a batuchana after 40 years of monastic life? Well, it's sakya ditti, isn't it? It's, it's uh, because it's a sense of self, of me, of attainment or n lack of attainment. Or kind of diffident, afraid, to, to, afraid I might make a mistake or I might, make, I might inflate my ego if I, if I start thinking of myself as a sotapanna or an arahant or whatever. So those four stages are not for ego positioning. It's the, the, the ten fetters and the four stages is merely an expedient teaching. It's a, it's a very skillful 
teaching to to observe to use with mindfulness for development of the cultivation of wisdom so you can never you know it's an impossibility to to become a sotapanna or attain it on a personal level but there is a recognition of it you know, the, if you if you really spend this retreat examining the first three fetters in as not intellectual concepts or defi- definitions from books but observing you know the conditioning that you're experiencing during this time whatever it is whether you're you know full of faith and hope and happiness and goodwill and metta and love and bliss or miserable, doubtful, angry, bored, fed up, confused, whatever. Or whatever opinions you have, you know, opinions and views that we hold about how things should or shouldn't be. Or, you know, then, then this is being able to observe this which is aware of the mental objects or the objects of the senses. So then uh, Puto, Tammo, Buddha, it's Buddha knowing Dhamma rather than me knowing all about the Dhamma. You see the difference. Ajahn Sumedho knows all about the Dhamma is still Sakyaditi, isn't it? I may, you know, People know all about the Dhamma. There's uh, scholars and experts in universities, PhDs, uh, knowing all about different schools of Buddhism, the history and uh, Pali, Sanskrit, Chinese, Tibetan, the whole lot, and still don't know Dhamma. So just studying Buddhism as a subject in university, you might know all about Buddhism but not know the Dhamma. So knowing the Dhamma isn't isn't operating from views about Dhamma, but in trusting in the awareness, the puto position of mindfulness, which includes everything. So whatever ever you're feeling at this time through the senses, through the body, through the emotional habits, through uh, mental states. Welcome it all, you know, the the sense of wide open embracing of conditioned phenomena rather than trying to resist it or get rid of it. Now, when things that, that which is happening now that don't arouse personal sense of me as a separate person is which is what we call natural phenomena the the the, uh, the breath the body so these are we don't create them the breath is a natural condition operating according to laws of nature you i don't personally create my breath i can make i can you know my, think my breath and and so forth, but that's that's even not necessary. The body still breathes, whether I claim it or don't. 
whether I notice it or not, or whatever mental state I'm in. If I'm absolutely stark raving mad, I'm still breathing. The body's still breathing. And then the body is here and now. It's the sitting or standing, walking or lying down. So in this, the way it is, these are like gamatana or foundations for mindfulness because they're, they're so obvious. And they're not to be seen in terms of, you know, the vanity, like the body. We, we might see our bodies in terms of uh, the critical faculty, vanity. You know, so we, we identify with it, with its appearance, its beauty or lack of beauty or whatever, the complexion, the age, the gender, the size, whether you're fat or thin, black or white, <laughs> male or female, young or old. So then we create a self around it, isn't it? That we identify with, with the body so this is where, you know, to, to just see the body as the body. And sitting here, it's like this. It's not, there's no, you know, need to criticize it or claim it. It's, it's here and now. Sitting here like this, breathing. No, then to do this, then you, you're, not, you're not trying to figure it out or think about it. You're just noticing its immediate attentiveness to, to what's so obvious that's happening on a gross level. The body is, a, is the rupa, the coarsest the kanda. You know, it's physical. It's heavy. It has weight. It has form. If there's anything you can claim as a personal thing, it's your body. You know, your, your mental states are kind of fleeting and changeable, but the body seems to have a kind of solidity to it. So it's, it's easy to, to identify with it. But that which is aware of the body is, is, is consciousness. The body is in consciousness. So when, when we're mindful, then we're, we're we're not creating any conditions into consciousness, we're resting in consciousness, observing the condition. The body is like this, at this moment. And then the thinking mind, well, what am I supposed to do next? You know, as I see the body now, what am I supposed to do? Then you start thinking again and, and trying to make it into some kind of uh, concentration practice. Should I concentrate on the body for how long and and so forth? We get into uh, the, the the entanglement of proliferating with thoughts or doubts. That's wichikicha, isn't it? Doubt, skepticism, and then the breath is inhaling, exhaling. And then the sound of silence as you you begin to notice this resonating background sound of consciousness. Or it's not a sound, a vibration. 
these are, these are not created. I don't, you know, I'm not creating them. I'm just noticing them. So this sense of observing, noting, this is puto, puru, the knowing, the, that which knows, the dhamma. So this is sense of the body then in terms of, we're seeing it in terms of dhamma rather than in terms of personality or sakyaditi. We're seeing it from the puto tamo refuge rather than from the personal cultural positioning, which is, which includes all of sakyaditi sila bhattabharamasa vichikecha. Now, in using the sound of silence, it's, uh, I found this very helpful way of practicing because once you start observing and kind of staying with it for a while, to be with the sound of silence, you stop thinking. The proliferating thoughts stop. But then you can you try to use it as a kind of whippa practice to stop thinking. You don't want to think, so you're, you're uh, going to sound of silence to stop thinking. Notice that the, that doesn't work either, just trying to get rid of thinking uh, through uh, ignorance and whippa trying to get rid of something. You're, maybe your thoughts are negative or silly or foolish or endlessly kind of obsessed and you want to stop it. And it's Ajahn Sumedho says, sound of silence will stop the thinking process. So you're operating from ideas again, from the self-view, grasping something uh, you've heard me say, and then interpreting from a sakyaditi level of uh, trying to get rid of or stop the thinking process. So that's where it's uh, this uh, this insight into these three kinds of desire is so so useful because it's not a matter of getting rid of thought. It's just uh, you know or using taking something I say and and grasping it. You know, Ajahn Sumato says, and then using that as a kind of position you take on practice. But it's uh, learning to awaken and observe. Even if you do the things like that, you can observe it. And if you, you know, you can observe the way you grasp uh, what you you hear me saying. So then the ex- investigation, that which is aware of the breath, you know, like just with Anapanasati, there's, you say, bring attention to the, say, the nostril, to the nose, the inhalation, exhalation. Then investigation of that, that which is aware of the breath. Now, the breath, inhalation, is impermanent, isn't it? It inhales, you inhale, and then it stops, and then you exhale. So, I mean, the breath is is, uh, you know, obviously a Nietzsche impermanent condition. But that which is aware of the breath, so this awareness then puts you in this 
in this uh, position of the unconditioned, or you're you're recognizing it, realizing the unconditioned is this awareness, and the breath is is not self. You know, it is what it is. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. So it's not is not uh, trying to make it into anything or create a problem or ignore it, but just use it as a way of reflecting on the way it is. So that you're more and more instructing yourself, informing yourself, uh, this is awareness, awareness of the breath. And then you start thinking, well, awareness is impermanent too and not self. Then you're starting thinking again. You say, uh, you say is, is mindfulness impermanent? And uh, sati, is that impermanent? and not self. So then you grasp the words again of uh, in the Pali scriptures. And and so you grasp words like nibbana and sotapanna and arahan and and then they then they're 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 and grasping out of ignorance, not out of discernment. So they're just interpreted from Sakyaditi Silabhatabaramasa level. So it's it's a hopeless. It, you're stuck then. You're you're there's when you're caught in the samsara, and it, it just doesn't seem to be any way out. So just by struggling and resisting samsara or conditions, trying to change them or rearrange them or control them, you know it's just it's just a hopeless task. That's why people are so frustrated and, and stressed because trying to control everything, the conditioned realm, trying to make it ordered and neat and clean and, you know, I'd like to have it nicely arranged, in control, where I feel, I feel, you know, if, if I'm in, if I feel I'm in control and everything is is clearly stated and arranged properly, then then personally maybe I have a hang up around this. I need to feel safe by having control and and of of life and ordered it and have it ordered in the way that makes me feel safe. But in but then the awareness of that the the desire to control everything fear of getting out of control, fear of chaos, of the unknown, of the dark, the shadows, the black holes, the mysteries. So we can live on a very superficial level of just neatness, cleanliness, order, and, and controlling uh, everything as best we can. But even even if we were fairly successful at that, it's still it's still very threatening. The world around us is very threatening because how you know you can't control everything. So you know you get into these all these problems that we have of immigrants, illegal immigrants, and you know European countries are now the the movement of people from poor third world countries into the wealthier ones, we want to control it. Because we don't want a lot of poor, poverty-stricken foreigners 
making us feel insecure. You know, it makes us feel uncertain, insecure. Have you know, these Muslims or Hindus and people you don't know, you know, can't even speak English from Africa or wherever, you know, coming in here and they don't know what, what's going to happen. We'll lose control. And so we, we panic and we do terrible things to each other because of this uh, Sakyaditi Silabhattabhara Masa Vichikita. So, you know, we can live an ordered life control under, with everything under control. But then there's always something in the unknown factors. The meteor from outer space, the bolt of lightning, or the, you know, the, the ghost, or the poltergeist, or the revolution, the war, and on and on like this, where, you know, that when you look at the history as we know it, it's all about migrations of populations, one group dominating another, uh, you know, one group uh, exploiting or enslaving another group, trying to control everything to make one feel superior or safe or in control. That's what, what, you know, why the world is like this. So it, trying to control the conditioned realm, it's not it, you know, it's not that samatha meditation, but vipassana is embracing all conditioned phenomena. And of course that, you can't do that from a personal position. I as a person can't embrace, I can, I can, I know I get the idea, I can grasp the idea of it, I must embrace life and face reality and and open to the wonder of the universe. I can say all those inspiring words. But if I'm still operating from Sakyaditi, you know, I might be able to think inspiring thoughts and say marvelous things. But still, I can't do it from that position, from Sakyaditi. Because Sakyaditi is dependent on other conditions. So when I'm in a kind of grand visionary mood of embracing life and loving everybody, I can, you know, I can convince myself that's what I'm doing. But when conditions change, isn't it? When things aren't so nice and I don't feel so well, and it's, you know, it's hard to generate that sense of embracing life. And so one gets confused, you know, you get confused by your emotional realities and your ideals. So this is uh, the war that goes on inside the individual, isn't it? Between the the ideal world, the, the logical, reasonable thought process and the emotional realities that one is experiencing in the present. So how many of you really resist you know, when your emotions aren't, don't live up to your standards of, of what you want, how many, you know, you get confused or you start resisting or hating yourself or feeling guilty. So, you know, one 
feels tremendous guilt sometimes around one's emotional, that what one is emotionally experiencing. Because, you know, on the level of, of the critical fact, I may not like what I'm feeling. I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to feel petty and mean and angry and, and uh, resentful, frightened. I don't want that. On an ideal level, I want to be brave and strong and grand and magnanimous and, and uh, full of loving kindness, compassion, all the best. So that's the ideal realm. And then the emotional realm is not ideal. It's like this. You know, how we actually might feel. Emotional, the mood, the, the, the mood we're in is like this. So then we're seeing it in terms of puto tamo because Buddha knows Dhamma. So, so even a nasty, mean, miserable emotional state is still seen in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of, of uh, self. When it becomes self, then you tend to resist it or follow it, believe it, or, or uh, try to suppress it. So this is just good psychotherapy, really. You know, learning to you know, stop the, the kind of just struggling, endless struggling with, with the, the emotional realm that we, the emotional karma we have by noticing it. But noticing that not in a critical way, not in terms of should or shouldn't, good or bad, but it's like this. And so this, you know, feeling depressed or angry or whatever is like this. This is changing from the person, the sakaditi, which is going to judge it. I don't feel very good. You know, I'm going through a bad time uh, and uh, I'm really down and going through a bad time and... Uh, it's uh, rough, going through a rough patch. All this is, uh, you know, put in terms of sakyaditi. Or using it, the, it's like this. Rough patch is even too much, isn't it? It's still a, a value judgment. This uh, awareness and discernment is, has no critical function at all. It's not rating it in terms of good or bad, right or wrong. It's just observing, discerning it. The emotional energy uh, that I uh, recognize now is like this. The way it is. Da-ta-da. Benyang In Thai. The sage Buddha Dasa, one time they, he said, well, they asked him if he, if he was uh, stranded on a desert island. Which, w what would he, what would he like to have with him if he was just stranded for the rest of his life on some desert island? And he said, just, uh, just a little sign around my neck, saying Benyang Niang, the way it is. <laughs> I always liked that because. <laughs> 
that's the most helpful re- reminder, you know, whatever way it is. Now, the way it is, it's not, it's not a, it's not a kind of passive resignation. Like it can sound like, oh, this is the way it is, what can you do about it? You just have to put up with it and bear with it and it'll change, you know, things will get better, I hope, later on, but just, you know, be patient and endure and this is all Sakyaditi, isn't it? Don't make a scene, don't be a nuisance, things will change, you'll be better. Next year you'll feel much better. Just bear with the misery, you know. And so we, this is, this is a Sila Bhattabharamasa kind of thing, isn't it? Culturally, you know, stiff upper lip here in, in uh, the UK, the idea of, you know, get on with life, don't make a scene, bear with it. The life is difficult, but we have to put up with it. And Or it can be just resignation to misery. What can I do? It's, it's like, the world's like this. It's rotten, but it's just you got to put up with it. That is still Sakyaditi. The way it is is not a is not coming from Sakyaditi. It's a skillful use of thought to remind yourself. It's like this. So even if it's miserable and you're experiencing this, going through a rough patch, it's like this. Now when I do this and I'm I'm embracing, uh, I'm allowing the, the emotion to be what it is. I'm not struggling with it or trying, to, or trying to convince myself, well, just be patient and it'll go away eventually. Or, you know, or just say, well, must stiff upper lip, get on with life. Tomato, don't make a scene. Just, uh, you know, life is like this. And so you just got to bear with it and put up with it till you drop dead. That's Sakyaditi. But this is, this isn't Sakyaditi, this is Puto Tamo, you see, so Supa or Sanko, Supatipano. So it's really learning from, you know, from the conditions you're experiencing, from the karma, from the what you're feeling now, physically, mentally, emotionally. Like this. Now, discerning, like this, uh, what I call sound of silence. It has no boundary. It just seems I don't create it. It's just, you know, it's not something I, I create out of desire, or ignorance. It's just like this. It's nothing fantastic, like Hallelujah chorus or anything like that. It's ordinary, you know, it's, it's not, nothing special. But in the terms of this, uh, in, in the, uh, this present moment, Pachubana Nama, there's the body, the breath, sound of silence. These are, I use these three as uh, references. Because I don't create them, they're natural to this present moment. Consciousness is natural. You don't create consciousness. It's not Sakya Ditti. 
And we don't tend to create Sakyaditi around consciousness. We, we, you know, we, we identify with the conditions that we experience through consciousness. So like when you contemplate your body, the, the reality of your body sitting here, it's in consciousness, isn't it? It's consciousness that's aware of this, the simple reality of, of this body sitting here. You don't create that consciousness. It's not, you know, it has no name. It's not European or Asian or, you know, it's not Buddhist even. It's just, it's natural. Dhamma, tamachat. The word for nature is tamachat. So it's just natural. It's like this. It's not a something that one creates out of ignorance in Sakyaditi Silabhattamasa, which he teaches, just like this. Sound of silence is just like this. Space, visual space, is just like this. Now space and consciousness then are, they're un, unbounded, they have no form. You see, so that, that uh, you know, they, the forms arise and cease, come and go in space and consciousness. Where forms created condition phenomena, they all they all have they all have shape and form, beginning and ending. That's why you can, you know, you can draw anything that you know in the created world. You can draw, or you can fantasize. You can, you can create fantasies of form, color, shape. So in the, this is the uncreated, unborn, unconditioned. So it's discerning, you know, in the elements, six elements, earth, fire, water, air, space, and consciousness. So then you, space and consciousness, it's here and now, isn't it? It's not, not something, uh, it's just, you know, something... Uh, that you have to find is just awakening to it. The body's in the space. The body's in the consciousness. The breath. Sound of silence and consciousness seem to go together. When I let go of the forms and the habit tendencies, when I let go of my habits, then there's this sound of silence, consciousness, space. Then, then the awareness of the breath, which has form, has a inhalation, exhalation. Aware of the body, which has a form. It's sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. Aware of the thoughts, of emotions, of feelings, pleasure, pain, neutral sensations, of sensory impingement, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. All this is, is then observed in terms of Dhamma. It's the knowing of the way it is. 
But as soon as we forget this, then we go go, f go back into the Sakyaditi level of life, which is, I like and I don't like, and this is mine, and it should or shouldn't be, whatever. Then we're, 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 we easily fall back into the conditioning process. Because it's habit, you know, like we're creatures of habit. We become so conditioned and primed, we, we've lost that wisdom, we've forgotten it. So we, we, we believe in all the illusions that we create. So Sakya Ditti, Thilabhata not trying to get rid of them, but know them. You can, you can be an expert on these three fetters. Anything I think I don't believe anymore. What my emotions do, I'm aware of them. But I don't have any intention to grasp or follow them or believe in them. They're accepted, they're, they're recognized, they're not rejected or suppressed, they're acknowledged, they're like this. My emotional world is like this. Or views and opinions. I can still have views and opinions about what I think is good, bad, right, wrong, should or shouldn't be. But I no longer believe in it. I, I don't, I'm not going to operate, act, and try to refrain from speaking too much on <laughs> these, these opinions and views. Because I, th you know, I, I, you know, you, if you explore this, investigate this, you can see the suffering caused through grasping, through being heedless and grasping the conditioned phenomena. It's just it always takes you to to dukkha. So in the paticca samuppada, dependent origination, avicca bhajaya sankara, avicca is the big problem, isn't it? This is the delusion. And with anything that, that you know, if one is coming from avicca, ignorance of Dhamma, then the result's always going to be soka parite watuka tomanat upayasa, grief, sorrow, lamentation, despair. Life is going to be disappointing. And then inevitably you die all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So there's always this sense of loss, fear of loss, of death. Death is the unknown. And from the Sakya Ditti, Thilavata fetters, then, then we, you know, it's a, we're always struggling with our fears of the unknown, of death, and holding, trying to hold on and protect what we have to make us feel safe, but inevitably all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise. That can make you depressed if you take it personally. I'm going to lose everything. I'm just going to get old and die and and lose everything in the end. And that can be quite depressing if you're operating from Sakya Ditti, 
clinging to sakyaditi as the way you experience life from the personal view. So instead of this uh, invitation of the Buddha to awaken, wake up, let's say, then, then, then these, these teachings, Four Noble Truths, Dependent Origination, the, the Ten Fetters and Four Stages, all of these are skillful means, helpful tools to use to investigate and explore experience. Because they're, they're wisdom teaching, they're not to be grasped on a personal level, you know, they're not to, to uh, reinforce Sakya Ditti, but to, you know, reminders, helpful, expedient means to examine experience. To, to really uh, look and observe and remind ourselves when life does get fraught and personal and rough and difficult and disappointing and so forth. And we have a way of looking at it rather than just stiff upper lip, get on with life, don't make a scene or just getting lost in despair and depression. They have, you know, it's a, it's, it reminds you to wake up, pay attention, even when, when everything is uh, out of control, when everything in your life is going wrong. That, that's not an obstruction to awareness, to enlightenment. So, Sita Patabaramasa, then, uh, as I've said before, is, uh, like cultural conditioning, assumptions we make from cultural attitudes, from class identities, from ethnic identities, racial identities, sexual identities, and that it's all, it's, um, you know, the Siddha Pattaparamasa, Sakyaditi, Vichikichi, these are all create human human beings created these these out of avicca ignorance so it is culture its personality its ego its language you know it's 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 uh, it's not tamachat and they're not natural conditions like breathing is natural the body is, is nature consciousness is natural but the sense of yourself is an artificial creation, isn't it? Me and mine, I'm my body, I'm good, bad, male or female, monk or nun, Buddhist to Christian or whatever, you know. I am, these are artifices that we create out of ignorance, not having examined and looking into things in terms of the way they are, we merely operate from the cultural conditioning that we have. You know, so, you know, we, this is uh, what we get from our parents, from our class, from our ethnic identities, in whatever country or ethnic group or whatever you're born into, you pick up those assumptions, those attitudes, 
And it's not a judgment against them, it's just noticing. Some are good, some aren't. Some are right, some are wrong. But I mean, they're, they're, it's not the matter of right and wrong, it's the ignorance and clinging that is the, that is the cause of suffering. So in, uh, in this wake up call of the Buddha, the gates to the deathless are open. Aparuta de That's quite a marvelous statement. The gates to the deathless are open. Now, right now, it's not, you know, gates outside, isn't it? The gate to the deathless, what is that here and now? And of course, putting it into scriptural language, it's sati sampachanya. The deathless, you can't imagine that. But that's your true nature. Because it's, it's uncreated, unborn, it's, it's not self, it's anatta, it's nibbana. And it's, it's reality, it's real. But unrecognized, you know, when we're bound into the conditioned realm. When all we know is the sense of me and mine and my likes and dislikes, my views and opinions. So one, one is caught into that vortex of, of uh, conditioned phenomena, but then this is awakened the way it is. Suddenly we're, we're, stopped just, we're stopping trying to control or believe or get rid of, but just observe the way it is. Life, right now, the, the difficult problems is like this. Feeling that life is difficult is like this. Feeling that I can't take any more, you know, I'm fed up, I've had enough, is like this. Creating, uh, believing your opinion of Amravati or Chitters is like this. Or views about monks or nuns, about Ajahn Sundra, Ajahn Chandasiri, and Ajahn Tani and all is like this, their views, memories about Ajahn Sumedho, Ajahn Aryasilo, Ajahn Vajira. These are not real people. These are views or memories or assumptions. So, you know, suddenly we're, we're switching on the, the floodlight of awareness. So that's different than, than that, you know, believing our views and opinions without investigating them without seeing what we're doing. One can still have views and opinions, but you know it. You know their views and opinions. They're not, they're not truth or reality. They're merely what I personally prefer or like or approve of or disapprove of. That's, you know, that's uh, fair enough. I, mean, I can still have personal preferences, but the difference is knowing it and or just operating from personal preferences without knowing what I'm doing. Believing my view is the right one and you, and if you don't agree, then you're wrong or you're my enemy. 
then I'm, you know, I can be full of righteous indignation because I'm, my view is right. I can prove it according to scriptural authority. Ajahn Chah said, and on and on like this. And then you you counter that, and then I think you're you're a heretic, or you're not a real Buddhist, or you're you're a Mahayana type, or you're just a Christian disguised as a Buddhist. I can. <laughs> so, it's, and this is what religion does: it gets very righteous, you know. They get, the, who's a heretic and who's teaching the true Dhamma and who's the best teacher, which is the, you know, the best form of Buddhism. And on either form, you know, you know, I can, still I can have opinions and views, but I know them. I know what it is. I no longer believe in them anymore. Don't know which is the best form of Buddhism. Don't need to know that. But in terms of of knowing Dhamma, this is what an encouragement, the invitation to know Dhamma, not Buddhism. And then my own viewpoint, you know, I, I realize the pain of clinging to my opinions about things. It's really... You know, it makes me very make puts me in a in a of uh, I feel like I have to defend myself or or uh, prove I'm right or prove you're wrong. You know, there's this sense of me trying to what I think, and I've got to defend it by converting you or convincing you, or if you don't go along with it, just expelling you. You know, you're. You're a heretic, and that's the that's all thinking, isn't it? That's sekhiditi silabhatabharamasa vichikicha again, because it's divisive. So thinking, the thinking process, its function is division. You know, it's it's that's what it does. You have, you know, you have you, when you attach to thinking, you're caught in the dualistic position of right and wrong, good and bad. When you let go of thinking, when you just trust the awareness, then this is where discernment operates. You're seeing the way it is rather than what you think it should be or shouldn't be. So that's why I encourage you to explore thinking. Listen to you know, listen to yourself with your strong views about right and wrong, good or bad. What I like and what I think is right and how things should be is like this. or What I don't like or what's wrong is like this. And that which is aware of right and wrong, is that right or wrong? <laughs> it is what it is. It's like this, the way it is. 